Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. All right, Happy New Year, PCC. Uh, I am excited to be with you today, and I'm actually doing something I've never done in our 24-year relationship. I am actually re-preaching a message I gave almost a year to the date ago. I can't tell you how many times I've come back to the principles in this message from Isaiah 6 as COVID hit and thought, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord, for fueling me before COVID for what I would need for COVID. So I've rewrapped it a little bit, but we're going to be in Isaiah 6 this morning. I'm excited to represent this message for all of us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a new year. Thank you that uh, even that word new gives us hope, but we can have that hope every day in you because Jesus, you said you're making all things new. So here we are. Our Bibles are open. Our hearts are open. Lord, we want to be resilient and we want to live lives that radiate your glory. And I pray today you would fuel us for that. Pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. All right, it's amazing for me how the urgent displaces the ultimate. How the urgent displaces the ultimate. I was reflecting in my journal, what was urgent in January of 2020? And in the Gadini house, the urgency was around daughter's transitions. One was graduating, she was a senior in high school, one was a senior in college, one was going from a career over into grad school over in London, and we were all consumed with what's coming in the next five months with graduations and, and job applications and what college will we go to? I wonder what the urgent this January is that's consuming you and emptying you of hope, of joy, of peace. That's what the urgency does, right? Does God have a message when the urgent is overwhelming? You know, the context of Isaiah chapter 6 is this. During the 8th century B.C., Ancient Judah enjoyed this time of relative peace thanks to the steady leadership of a king named Uzziah. Uzziah was far from perfect, yet his presence kept Israel safe for 52 years. And then Uzziah died, and the urgent, like a tsunami, began to overwhelm Israel. Now, don't get me wrong, they were people of faith. Everyone's a person of faith, but their faith was misplaced. Uzziah was their scaffolding, if you will, in their minds. And they were playing way too much security in Uzziah to hold up their lives and their livelihood, to hold it all together. And now he's gone. Can anyone relate to this? Like, as we enter into 2021, we may feel like some of the, quote, earthly kings that were our security have died in 2020. COVID stole them from us. For some of you, it's your finances or your financial security. For some of you, it's your friends because they've moved. For some of you, it's your health. Isaiah learned that although Isaiah's throne was empty, in Isaiah 6, he learns God's throne still occupied. Although Isaiah's reign had ended, God's reign hadn't ended. Although Uzziah's voice was silent, God's voice was strong. And in the midst of the urgent, 
When Uzziah had died, Isaiah encountered the ultimate. And that encounter transformed everything. What I want to do is quickly walk through Isaiah 6, 1 to 8, so that we can center our lives on the ultimate. And when the urgency comes, like a wave on a rock, it just splashes and recedes because we're anchored to the ultimate. How do we do that? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it starts with a God quake. It starts with a God quake. I'm reading Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 4. Here's how it reads. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe, get this, filled the whole temple. Above him were seraphim, the word means in Hebrew, burning ones, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they're flying. And they're calling to one another. This is the eternal song of heaven, friends. Holy, holy, holy. Now in the Old Testament language of Hebrew, magnitude is conveyed through the repetition of a word. But nowhere in our whole Hebrew Old Testament is uh, any quality ever tripled except here. Just, Just sit in this for a second. The angels are worshiping God who's infinite and they can't exhaust his character because they can't get beyond holy. And just as they get the word out, a fresh new expression of God's holiness comes about and they're like, holy, holy. And it just keeps going and ricocheting in the throne room is the Lord Almighty, they say. The whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. The temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah comes into the temple and he sees the Lord, right? High and exalted. He sees, what he sees actually is the glory of the Lord. He says the whole earth is filled with his glory. You know, in Hebrew, that word glory is a word that literally means weight or heaviness. When talking about God's glory, the sense is, compared to anything else, nothing is as weighty as God's character. In Isaiah's context, not even King Uzziah's death. In our context, not even COVID. Uh, Let me try to explain this. And let's talk physics. I'm going to exhaust my knowledge of physics right now. Here's what I know about physics. If you drop an object that's heavier than water into water, the water gets displaced in proportion to the weight of the object dropped. You basically have a little water quake. Now, where did I learn this? Actually, at one of our favorite summer camps, Mount Hermon. They always have this thing called a Big Dad Splash Contest. And because dads have more glory than water, The water is displaced, right? Now let's take it back into the throne room. When Isaiah walked into the temple for a worship service, I believe at that point, like most of Israel, he believed in God as a concept, but he never expected to encounter God's glory. And how heavy is God's glory? How heavy is it to you, right? How weighty is the throne room of God in our lives. Uh, At least here in the Bay Area, it's super popular to believe in a God concept these days. 
as long as that God is lighter than you. <laughs> Track with me. As long as that God doesn't displace you or quake you. As long as you get to shape your God to fit into the script for your life. That's the kind of God most people want to follow. I mean, the God concept that's really popular today would never disagree with your beliefs. He lives to comply with them. God forbid that he would ask you to change some behaviors. So the reality is, friends, even demons believe in a God concept. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, you believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Listen, I want to share with you the design of the true God for human flourishing. God is glorious. And when you actually experience his glory, things give way in your life to his priorities. And friends, that is the path to human flourishing. Instead of God fitting into your agenda, Jesus and his kingdom becomes your agenda. Experiencing God displaces your agenda, displaces your priorities. Following God has displaced your finances and your view of people and your relationships in the best way possible. That's what Isaiah is coming to encounter in the throne room. I know 2020 has been weighty, but nothing in 2020 contains more glory than Almighty God. It starts with a God quake, and that leads to a self quake. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5 to 7, look what Isaiah says. He uses prophets speak. Woe is a popular term for prophets. Look what he says. He starts by looking at God, then he looks at himself, and he says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now look what happens next. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken from tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my lips. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Well, let's just pause for a minute. Went from a God quake to a self quake. Isaiah experienced something searingly, breathtakingly beautiful. He experienced Jesus. In John 12, 41, it, it says this, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Have you ever had a breathtaking experience on the planet? Like literally some earthly glory that pulls the breath out of you and puts you in your place in the best way possible? That's what worship does, right? It reorients us and puts us in our place, or at least it should. Psalms 96 verse 9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Worship should do that. But since the whole earth is filled with this glory, some experiences on earth are created to take your breath away. I think of the tunnel view driving through Yosemite when the whole valley appears for the first time in the drive. 
it pulls the breath out of you. I think of a time when I was visiting missionaries in southern Ethiopia, way out in the bush, and sleeping outside under the sky and just looking straight into the Milky Way, seeing stars of the magnitude I've never seen before. It took my breath away. I think of being in Kings Canyon National Park, just outside of Fresno, where those huge redwood trees are overlooking one of the deepest canyons in the western United States. And it's just silence. And you're sitting there and you're looking down at the depth of the canyon. You're looking up to the majesty of the trees. It puts you in your place. This is what worship does, my friends. Now for the seraphim, God's holiness was overwhelming. We talked about that, right? They, they couldn't even get the word out before they're seeing a new aspect of his holiness and they just keep repeating it. But for Isaiah, God's holiness becomes painful. It says in verse 5, Woe to me. Woe is actually prophet speak for cursed. He's pronouncing a curse on himself. He's saying, I am ruined, literally in the Hebrew. I am undone. I am dismantled. God's holiness and my sinfulness are colliding, and I can't stand it. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. This is an accurate assessment, because now he's not looking at himself in relation to others. He's looking at himself in relation to God. What's going on? Well, rabbinic tradition states that Isaiah was from a royal family. He was actually one of the elites of his day. And we know from the book of Isaiah that he was kind of an artistic, intellectual, literary genius. If you question that, you go ahead and write a book. And if we're still talking about it 3,000 3, years later, I'll call you a genius too. But as great as he was on the planet before the living almighty God, he's reoriented and he's undone. That's what worship does. It reorients you. And he says, all of Israel's unclean, and me, my lips, the best part of me, that's what prophets are, they're speakers, the best part of me is unclean, it's flawed, it's wrong, it's selfish, it's, it's distorted, it's twisted. Friends, this isn't a self-deprecating statement. This is a God-orienting statement. And now lean in, everybody, because look what God does next. As soon as he confesses his sin, one of the seraphim flies towards him with the fire of God in his hands. What would Isaiah thought at that moment? Well, we know every other place in the Hebrew Old Testament, the fire of God represented judgment and wrath. And in the presence of God's holiness, the minute Isaiah confesses his sin, a God meteor comes flying toward him he would have thought he was a goner. Even the angel can't touch this fire with his hand. He has to use tongs, the scripture says. But now this is where it gets really good. Now Isaiah learns that God's throne is not just a throne of wrath. It's a throne of grace. Oh my gosh, I love this. Even the fire, it must have stung, it must have hurt. But instead of consuming him or undunning him, He'd been cleansed. Look what the angel says. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. You still with me? Track with me here. The second after Isaiah was 
was uh, oriented to the throne room of God, realizing he's more wicked than he ever dared believed, he's now reoriented, hearing that he's more valued than he ever dared hoped. And that, my friends, is the gospel. It's really true that in Christ, we can be accepted not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ. And once you internalize that, that our guilt is taken away, our sin is atoned for on the cross, you quit serving God out of duty. You serve him out of sheer delight. And don't you, don't you join me in wanting this for everybody to be able to say that? That our guilt is taken away. I have no condemnation status before God. My sin is atoned for. I'm completely forgiven. Oh my goodness, friends. And that is the motive for ministry right there. I think there's a direct correlation between God's glory and our service. I know in my own life, when I find myself tepid to working with Jesus and expanding his kingdom, I'm almost embarrassed to even say that, but when I find myself that way, I need to reorient myself to God's glory, and there's nothing like rehearsing the gospel over and over again to myself. It fires me up, and it fuels me towards ministry. So, where have we gone? It starts with a God quake, seeing God for who he truly is. Then it leads to a self quake, seeing the work of Jesus in our life. You know what that culminates with? or what it should culminate with, a world quake, a world quake. Look at verse eight. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, and friends, this is my favorite word in the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament. Here am I, send me. That word here am I, it's actually uh, one word in the Hebrew language. And you know what it means? Without condition. Without condition. My daughter uh, went to a ranch. Uh, we went to a daddy-daughter retreat. It had a huge impact on our life. It's called J.H. Ranch, way up in Northern California. And they had a concierge desk at this ranch. And over the concierge desk, it had this sign that I think captures Hineni, which is the Hebrew word, here am I, perfectly. Over the desk had this sign, and it said this, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? Friends, that captures Isaiah's response right there. And I don't know if I would have given it. I mean, think about it. Your sins have just been atoned for. You've just been outfitted for the throne room of heaven. I mean, think how good that is. And then the Trinity's talking, saying, we got to let more creation get in on this. And Isaiah says, okay, I'll go. I'll leave this for a moment of time and whatever you ask of me, whatever it takes, I want people in on this so they too can have what I experienced. Without condition, I'm in. So I want to ask you a question as we get ready to wrap up our time together. Because as I study this text, the Holy Spirit put a convicting question, not a condemning question, because there's no condemnation, right? Our sin is atoned for. Our guilt is taken away. But here's the question. And it may be the whole reason you're watching this right now. What conditions are you placing on your yes to God? What is your yes but? 
Listen, I want to say this from my heart, and it's very aspirational. We all put conditions on this, right? But God is looking for anyone, anyone who will partner with him in incredible ways. But it requires being enamored with his glory. And are you ready? Dropping the conditions. Saying, God, I will serve you. You call the shots. The answer is yes. Now what's the question? Because your glory can displace me because you are so weighty and my life is so light and minuscule, you can displace me any way you want because, friends, that is the path to human flourishing. In that moment, Isaiah's previous urgent circumstances were no longer as weighty as God's glory was in God's agenda. The glory of God became the scaffolding of Isaiah's life supporting him. And Isaiah was all in on joining God in bringing the kingdom to earth. So in conclusion, I just want to say it starts with seeing God as he truly is and worshiping God. I pray that is a daily practice for you in 2021. And then moving from God uh, becoming a concept to encountering God and suddenly looking at yourself with new eyes and rehearsing the gospel to yourself every day. And then it goes to saying to God, what do you want from me today? Where do we get to go today? I'm taking off the conditions. Use me. Use me every minute of the day. God, you call the shots. You call the audibles. Friends, that, that will make 2021 an amazing year, regardless of any cultural, racial, pandemic tsunami that comes into our lives. I'll close with this statement. Our king has to die. Our king has to die. The scaffolding, the security that we place, uh, really we place our lives in, Jesus wants that. He's worthy of that, of the throne of your life, to be your security, to be your all in all. May his glory be our delight. Oh, I pray 2021's a banner year. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we enthrone you right now. You are holy, holy, holy. Your glory is everything. And Lord, may we keep that in the vision of our lives as we look at ourselves, as we look at others, as we look to you. Your glory is all that matters. We want our surroundings, Lord, our neighbors, our friends, our family, the world to know of your glory. You've gotten our attention. You've gotten the world's attention through this pandemic. Jesus, we want to join you. And we say to you, can you say this? Here am I. No conditions. Here am I. Send me. May you do this in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.